Well, I want to please keep your phones out, your Bibles, and it also will be up here as well. I um, want to invite you. Uh, we're going to be having a special lunch afterwards if you want to stay for us uh, with us about 1230. We're going to be having a special lunch that has been uh, provided generously by Chick-fil-A. Um, so yeah, we'd love to just get to know you better um, and celebrate with you. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless the meditations of all our hearts, God, and the words of my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting a new sermon series today on the Gospel of Mark um, called The King's Reign. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark and to all accounts, it's the earliest gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus' life. And in particularly, all these messages really focus on the last week of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. It's called the king's reign because he is, it's a picture of Jesus coming, the son of God, to establish his kingdom here on earth. And we're looking at uh, today the king and his message. We're going to see what his message is. We're going to look at that under three headings. His identity, his gospel, and his calling. Let's look first at verses 1 through 13. His identity. Maybe you guys are familiar with uh, the Jason Bourne series. It doesn't... Uh, Jesus doesn't just arrive on the scene like Jason Bourne. Oh, wow, what's, I have these abilities. Who, who am I? It's not a mystery to him. It's not like, I know there was a, a new Matrix movie came out after a while. It's not like Neo in the Matrix or in Dune where this Messiah-like character has to, he grows into this st place, this status, and he figures out, oh, he, it's like he realizes who he is. He realizes he's the Messiah. That's not Jesus here. That's not the picture we get. And Mark wants us to show that to us right off the bat. And so that's why he highlights this. Uh, this bookends really his gospel right at the beginning and the end. It says right here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And throughout the gospel, throughout this story, he's going to show us why that's the case. But he wants us to know that right from the beginning, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to get more into what that word means in our second point. But this is good news. This is good news for everybody, for all people. And we get four identities, four things that the gospel writer Mark wants to say who Jesus is right here at the beginning. Four things. He says, number one. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He wants to point out Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a really excellent philosopher. That, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's the Messiah. And he puts this in, connects this to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. As well, he quotes Malachi here in Isaiah, 
who hundreds of years earlier prophesied and told the people of Israel, all right, there's going to be this one who comes, this suffering son of man, a Messiah is coming, a deliverer. Hold on, people. Hold on. There's a deliverer coming. And Mark right here in an epic way is saying, all right, he's here. He's here. He's starting to establish his kingdom. Let's look at verses 2 and 4 together. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And then John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he quotes this passage. This is fulfilled in John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes here to, he's a a warm-up. He's going to warm people up for Jesus. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. And he says he preaches a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. He's teaching, oh, guys, we're messed up. We're messed up. We're a sinful, frail people. He sets up the way for Jesus to come. He's clothed right here, we see, like the Old Testament prophets, like Elisha and others. Number two, we see that Jesus is the Christ. We see this in verses 2 through 8. All the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Man, he ate locusts and wild honey. He eats grasshoppers for breakfast. And he preaches saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John knew his identity and purpose. He comes to just point the way to Jesus. Just like I love how Pastor D.T. Niles said, he says, he says, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And John is a, a picture of all, how all we should be as the people of God, just saying, all right, man, I don't got it all together. Very far from it. I'm a beggar too. I'm bankrupt. But I know, I know the one who can I know the one who is the bread of life. He's the son of God. Uh, John said that I, the Old Testament and the law, it came and it couldn't do what it promised. It said you have to do this. You have to measure up. So he said that I did this outside cleansing baptism, which is necessary. But he's going to give an inside cleansing at what this outside cleansing really signifies. He's going to cleanse you with the Holy Spirit. John reminds us that there are no great men or women of God throughout history. There are just great sinners that have a great Savior. Let's look at verses 9 through 13 together. Jesus comes to him, and he goes to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And he just, Mark just continues on. For many of us, we might ask, like, whoa, wait, Jesus is being baptized? 
John, but John, he doesn't even find it worthwhile to mention. Um, and we're not even totally sure, all right, why, why this exactly happens. We know in another account that it says that Jesus says, all right, this is to fulfill all righteousness. You need to baptize me, all right? It possibly could be two things, though, I want to uh, note. It could symbolize either his anointing, his a coronation, a picture of this coming king who now is baptized. The Holy Spirit comes on him that God is saying, all right, this is his ministry. This is my son. It could also be that Jesus is being prepared for suffering, that all of Jesus' life is suffering, and ultimately that climaxes at the cross where he takes on our sins. So it could be possibly any of these. And we see here a beautiful picture of the Trinity. The Trinity is one of those mind-blowing things. One God, three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see that right here. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven shouts out, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You see, before Jesus had done any miracle, any great work, for 30, 33 years he had lived just as an ordinary man. Before any of that, he hears from his Father these affirming words. You're my son. You're the one that I love. It's amazing. That's something that we can take as application to for ourselves too. That it's not about what we do, but our being, our identity for us who are in Jesus. Verse 10, it says uh, immediately, this is the first time I believe that we see uh, Mark use his favorite word here. He's very fond of this word. He says it 41 times in his short gospel here. 41 times. The Greek word is euthus. Immediately. Immediately. There's just this sense of urgency that he wants. There's this, Jesus is like this lion-like king who just comes on the scene and he's, wow, all right, he's bringing the kingdom. He's bringing his reign. It's a reign of power, especially we see in this first half of the gospel. We see here something else, something amazing. Uh, third thing, Jesus is the second Adam in new Israel. Now, what does that mean? Many of you may, might be like, what is he talking about? The second Adam in the new Israel. Again, Mark is wanting to connect him to that he's the Messiah, he's the promised one. He's connecting it to the rest of the Bible. You see, Jesus goes out right here, right away. He goes into the wilderness. He's driven out by the Holy Spirit to be tempted in the wilderness. There was a group of people that wandered in the wilderness for a long time. Didn't you guys remember them? People of Israel, right, for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. They were tempted. They grumbled against God. Jesus here is a new Israel. He doesn't give in to temptation. He's like us in every way, but without sin, the Bible says. And like Adam, you get this picture, all right, wild beasts? What? He's wanting to connect that to the garden where Adam names all the animals, right? There's the animals in the garden. And he's tried, he's tempted, right? 
the devil came and tempted Adam and Eve. And did they do a great job responding? No. No, they didn't. Just like neither of us, any of us would. So he's tempted by Satan. He's with the wild animals. The angels are ministered to him. There are angels who guarded the garden. And so Jesus is a second Adam, the real man, the mediator, one who stands between us and God in our disagreement. And he passes the test. And he's going to continue to pass this test we see throughout his life. So Jesus is the second Adam in the new Israel. Jesus also is the king. Mark wants us to point that out. We see this in verse 15. John the Baptist knows his purpose. And we can think about, all right, do we also know our purpose? To make Jesus look great. He says in another place, he says, all right, I came. That's, it's great. All the crowds of people are starting to, who are following me are now starting to go after Jesus. And John says, that's all right. That I would become less so that he would become greater. That's why I came. That's why I came. The coming of the kingdom is a silent one, though, John says. Uh, Mark says, excuse me. He came for this purpose. Do we know this purpose? We're going to continue on as we look at this. The king and his message is Christ himself. That's his identity. Number two. His gospel. Verses 14 and 15. Let's look at that. I'm losing my notes here. All right. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's helpful to look at the Greek and Roman origin of this. Um, maybe if any of you are familiar with the, um, the movie 300, you don't have to say that you are. <clears throat> Not a movie I'd necessarily recommend. Or the Spartans. But there is this, the, this ancient war between these powers of the Greeks and the Persians. And the Persians came, and they, uh, the Greeks had all these colonies, and the Persians had taken over all these colonies until eventually they came to the mainland of Greece. And they start to take over cities there. And there's this epic battle, and it lasts a really long time. And after, after finally the Greeks get um, uh, victory, um, which is what we can think for much uh, democracy and um, the Republic and Western society that they did uh, triumph. But they'd send these heralds out, these heralds who were gospelizers, who said good news. And they said to these Greek cities, to these colonies, they said, all right, you're free now. The Persians are defeated. We've won the war. You're free. They brought good news. I also think in, in a very immediate context, too, they would have known the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the peace of Rome that was forged with bloody Roman steel. And this is the difference of the gospel. 
between religion and the gospel. Uh, excuse me, let me rewind. There was a gospel of Caesar that people would say, uh, there's good news that Caesar. Caesar was, became a god. They deified him. They said, all right, Augustus is the son of the god. Um, Julius, who was in the Roman pantheon of gods, he was said, all right, he is a god. The difference between religion and gospel is this. Religion says do. You have to do something. You have to do something. You have to be someone. You have to measure up. You have to do enough good things in order to be right with God, to reach nirvana, to have good karma. But the gospel, good news, says something has been done for you. Jesus is the king. This is good news. He has paid your debt. He did it all for you. You see, our problem is a good news problem. It's a gospel problem. We don't like someone telling us what to do. We don't like to have a, a king over us. We want to be our own king. That's the mindset that we live, especially in Western society, in America. We want to be our own king. You be you. You live out your identity. You create your own identity. We don't want to hear about that we have an infinitely punishable offense, that we've offended this amazingly good, infinitely good, majestic king. We don't want to hear about that. But it's like this. In, uh, if I can geek out for a moment or two, in The Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's famous trilogy, uh, the return of the rightful ruler, the king, the heir of, of Gondor, he goes, it goes really unnoticed. He's just this simple man, this ranger. He doesn't parade around. Um, he doesn't come... But yet, at the same time, he comes with power. He comes with wisdom, with humility, with goodness, with gentleness, with a character and integrity. But how much more does Jesus? He comes unnoticed. He's born as a baby, and he just appears on the scene here. And it's a slow start in one sense. He doesn't come with the heavenly pomp that his title as the Son of God could afford. Yet he is the true king what the cosmos was created for and through. Don't miss Jesus here, friends. Don't miss his active reign in your life. This is the same today. The kingdom is coming. It's breaking in. It's breaking in right now into our lives. But you see, we seek redemption through false gospels, through false Christ. We don't acknowledge the king in our lives as we should. We don't let him reign out over us, and so things aren't right in our lives because we put ourselves on the throne instead. We don't want to repent. That's, that thing is a dirty word. We want to save ourselves. The Bible talks about repentance actually as a gift. It's a gift because it means that to change your mind, it means that your mind was thinking of one way. It was on, it was on death. It was selfishness. And now as a chance to change the mind, to believe the true reality, the true reality to follow the king. And to use another analogy for Lord of the Rings, since I'm on this. One of the most iconic characters of the book is Gollum. And if you don't know under this, don't worry, I'll explain. He was once this, this kind of hobbit, um, this creature named Smeagol. 
But he is poisoned by his lust for this ring, this powerful ring, this ring of power. And he uses it, um, Tolkien uses this to, as a symbol for sinful nature. He finds the ring of power and he's corrupted. And now he starts to shape his own destiny with it. He's the one who's in control. So he murders his relative in order to obtain it. Throughout the books, Gollum, he steps over others, he controls, he manipulates, he kills in order to get what he wants. The ring is a symbol of human power gone wrong. We are given the means to access all our, he's given the means to access all of his wishes, all of his desires. Wow, what a dangerous thing that would be. You can have whatever you want. But is he satisfied? No. Instead of gaining happiness, he gains only misery. For hundreds of years, the ring turns Gollum inward on himself. He turns into this large-eyed, half-starved creature, this monster that sulks around, slinks around in the bottom of the mountain. His soul shrinks, becomes absorbed with himself with this, and this trinket of power. He cares not for goodness. He doesn't care for beauty. He doesn't care about others. So Gollum is writ large what every human soul has the ability to become. And what each one of us are at the heart level, even at our best moments. He displays what Martin Luther said as the evil of sin inside all of us. It's, we're bent in, we're curved in on ourselves. We're selfish and rebellion to the true king. We want to be the king ourselves. And this is what Jesus came to do away from, to bring freedom, to bring good news for us. The king is here. The time is fulfilled. He's the answer to every problem. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, it says. Repent. Turn from your way of living and thinking and turn to follow him. It's a gift. And believe the gospel, he says. Believe the gospel. And when I reign in your heart, Jesus says, only then you can find what you are truly made for. I pray that would each hear that today. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years, and you've been to church a lot, or this is something brand new to you, I pray you'd hear this message, this opportunity, this power to change, and this utter love that Jesus has for us. This is the message of the king, his gospel. Number three, his calling. We see this in verses 16 through 20, his calling. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's this urgency to Mark's gospel. Throughout time, there's always been a master, a teacher, who has always had pupils and apprentices flock to him. We see this today. We see this in Jesus' day, rabbis. Jewish rabbis would have their pick of the cream of the crop of disciples of, of men who would um, 
have studied, gone to school, who would try to attach themselves to a teacher. But Jesus here does something really unlikely, like Mark points out. He goes to the least likely people. He goes to not people we'd think of at all. Just rough, around the edges, blue-collared fishermen. Ordinary people who are about their ordinary lives. They're doing their work. He invites normal men into his ministry, into the kingdom he establishes, to help him with his work. Man, that's so encouraging. I know that's so encouraging for me. And it always takes time. There's a process of how Jesus calls a person, right? But here, Mark focuses on a defining moment. A defining moment when they had to hear it and then choose to follow for themselves. John and James must decide between all that they know, between their profession, between their father, their jobs, their careers, their family, or Jesus. And Jesus, in return, he promises that they will, he will make them fishers or catchers of men and women. That is beautiful. And immediately, they, fall, they leave their nets. They follow him. Nothing can become become between Jesus and us, between our maker. You see, he was the one that we are meant to be for. We are meant to be with. This is the purpose that Jesus comes to draw men and women into his kingdom. That's why he's preaching the good news. That's why, as we will see, as we keep on looking through Mark's gospel, it's not what we see later, these amazing power stories of miracles that Jesus does, of healings, of he's exercising demons. But that, he shows that those aren't the center of his ministry. It's his preaching. It's his proclaiming this good news because he came to call followers. I don't pray that many of you would hear that again. Whether you have been doing that or you're far from doing that, you'd hear that again, that Jesus is calling that. He's calling you. I think of, uh, whenever I think of a passage like this, I think of... Uh, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, or the pearl. And these are great, short, pithy little stories. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covers up. And then his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what Andrew is here. That's what Peter is like here, James and John. They, find, they, they stumble along this field, and they say, oh, man, there's this amazing treasure here. And then they go, and they sell all that they have. All that they have. Can you imagine? You see me later on today. I'm at the, uh, the pawn shop over here on Bloomingdale Road. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just selling everything. I got my whole wardrobe there. I'm like, Chelsea. The ring I gave you, can we sell that? She's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? That is that kind of picture, right? And the guy, he does it joyfully. He's like, he does not like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but okay, you can have all this. He does it joyfully because he knows what he's getting. That's the treasure that we have in Jesus. He's everything. He says, all I have is Christ. That's everything. That's everything for that. You can be so satisfied, so happy, my friends, so at peace. I want myself to experience that more. I want some of you to experience that more that do not know that. That's what it means to follow the king, 
to follow Jesus, to leave everything behind. Again, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding this one pearl of great price, man, that pearl must have been a lot of money. I'll tell you that. Wow. He went and sells all that he has, and he buys it. Same thing. As king, Jesus has absolute power and authority over our lives. He's the one who created you. This is what Jesus came to do. C.S. Lewis, I like he says this. He says, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting old friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they really learn to look into their hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that, that cannot be had in this world. Isn't that us? There's something that we want, something that this life is for. It just can't be found in this world. We've tried everything and won't satisfy. There are all sorts of things that this world has to offer and give you, but never quite keep their promise. This is a man, Jesus, who can keep his promise. Have you heard this calling? Have you changed, accepted this gift to change your way of thinking, to just believe? He doesn't say, all right, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You just have to believe. Trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in this good news. Not what you can do, but what already has been done for you, who he is. Some of you maybe have been waiting. You're just waiting. You're waiting to have enough faith. I want to tell you, don't wait anymore. Don't wait anymore. Some of you, maybe you've grown up in the church. You've been in the church for a long time, and you think, man, I got it all set. But still for you, it's about doing something in order to receive this relationship with God, in order to gain his approval, in order to be with him forever. But Jesus is saying, come. Come, believe, just believe the good news. And for some of you who are new and visiting, I want to speak to you as well. To come, be a part of what God is doing here with All People's Church. We'd love to get you connected. We'd love for you to join us on Wednesday nights. My wife Chelsea and I, we host uh, our missional community group. We'd love to have you join us. We'd love to see you next week. We'd love to get you connected. We, All People's Church exists to be God-glorifying, to treasure Jesus, to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. Come and learn how to make disciples with us. This suburb in Glendale Heights, Cal Stream, it's extremely diverse. It's also a gospel-poor suburb that doesn't have many churches. Come and join us for lunch. Get to know us afterwards. Talk to people in a gray shirt, like I've said, and get to know them. Ask them why. How did you get connected to this church? What has God been doing through it? Why are you a part of it? Ask them. This is the good news. Mark here, he reveals Jesus' message to proclaim the gospel of repentance and trust in the Son of God. The king begins to reveal his message right here, his identity through his gospel and through his calling. He's fulfilled this. You see, Jesus is the one who fulfilled this. He left everything for you. 
This is the one of who all the law and the prophets point to. This is the one that great John the Baptist was talking about. This is the Messiah who's walking amongst us. See Christ. See him come down for heaven. Let him baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hear the voice cry from heaven. Cry out, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But hear, out, hear cry out also, much later on. He said, why have you forsaken me? It's because Jesus took all of our sin. He was forsaken so we would never be forsaken by God. So that we would be loved by God. He was tempted in the wilderness of his life, throughout his life. He was the one who would be tempted in the garden at the end of his life, before he went to the cross. But he didn't listen to that temptation. He didn't take the easy way out. He paid the price to establish the kingdom in our hearts, to make you his loyal subject and forgive you all your debts, to surrender to his good news, to lay down your good works, to lay everything down to keep this good king from reigning in your own heart. He is the king and savior worth following. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word to us. We pray that we would hear it and that we would be changed by it. Lord, I pray that we would know this king. For some of us, that we'd know this king better. For some of us, that we'd know this king truly for the first time. This king that is gentle and humble. And he's also powerful. He has authority. He's the one we were created to know. We pray that he, we would know his message today, God. We would hear this amazing news, this gift, that we can have a relationship with our creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.